listening to the Games Industry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by Matt Handrahan, Brendan Sinclair, Chris Strain. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories of the past week, uh, although naturally the biggest story of the last week uh, we may not touch on. As Matt said on our previous episode, podcast is not quite the right forum to discuss the ongoing wave of allegations and abuse. We have been covering this extensively on the site and there will be links to those articles in the show notes. Instead, we're going to be talking about news that emerged from 2K Games. Uh, they announced that NBA 2K21 is going to have a recommended price of $69.99, that's dollars, $64.99 in pounds on PS5 and Xbox Series X. Uh, so that is $10 more than the PS4 and the Xbox One version. Uh, Chris, you covered these stories, but I'm going to start rattling off a few quotes from your articles before we delve further into this. Um, first of all, it kind of it echoes back to a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, uh, sparked by Sean Layden, about the the length of games in fact i believe that was last week's episode um during the game lab conference he was talking about the length of games and the price of games and he said it's been 59.99 since i started in this business but the cost of games has gone up 10 times if you don't have the elasticity on the price point but you have huge volatility on the cost line the model becomes more difficult i think this generation is going to see those two imperatives collide now Chris, you followed up with a consulting company called uh, IDG. President and CEO Yoshio Asaki told us that the last time the next-gen launch software pricing went up was in 2005 and 2006, when it went from $49.99 to $59.99 at the start of the Xbox 360 and PS3 generation. During that time, the costs and prices in other affiliated verticals have gone up. Even with the increase to $69.99 for next-gen, that price increase from 2005 to 2020 next-gen is only up 17%, far lower than other comparisons. So by other comparisons in that same time, cinema ticket prices have gone up 39%, Netflix subscription costs have doubled, cable TV packages have more than doubled. Um, Asaki continued, while the cost of development and publishing have gone up and pricing in other entertainment verticals have also gone up substantially, next-gen software pricing has not reflected these increases. $59.99 to $69.99 does not even cover those other cost increases completely, but it does move more in the proper direction. Not every game should garner the $69.99 price point on next-gen, he noted, but flagship uh, AAA games such as NBA 2K merit this pricing more than others. Games are getting more expensive, potentially, and I believe in this this piece he said that um, other publishers are planning on doing this this price increase as well. Gentlemen, your thoughts? <laughs> well done, James. James. You've, you've talked about everything <laughs> on our behalf there, I think. So. Job That's done, right, moving on. <laughs> well, no, but I think, yeah, so I, I, it's hard to know where to enter that because... That's like half a dozen different uh, talking points um, already. But I, th- I think this idea that... So it's probably a bit too simplistic to say that the cost of a Netflix package has doubled, but the cost of a, you know the entry price of a AAA video game is, has only risen by 17%. Because, you know, for example, we're talking about a sports game here. FIFA Ultimate Team didn't exist in 2005. So there's an awful lot... Of additional ways that video games now monetize themselves beyond the co- beyond the cover price. So, yeah, uh, the the cover price of video games stayed the same from 2005 until potentially uh, now. So that's 15 years, and in that time, lots of other stuff has become more expensive, including the cost of making those games. But in that time frame, we've seen the evolution of live service. We've seen free to play monetization mechanics, loot boxes, side modes like Ultimate Team. We've seen all of these other ways that video games now make money. So it's not quite as simple as, you know, 
the cost of making a game has gone up 10 times but the price has stayed the same because we have, we have definitely seen the impact of those rising costs on the way games do monetize it just hasn't actually impact hadn't had that strong an impact on the on that just that what one day $60 over the counter purchase hmm. I it, I always I always like you know DVD prices haven't risen by that amount of money in um in that time either um so there there is there are examples that contradict that um and you'd argue that you know the cost of actually watching tv or watching films has gone down because of netflix um it's it's as as matt says it's so much more complicated um and i'll be one thing that will interest me a little bit i find it fascinating that games haven't risen in price i do remember although i do remember games costing this amount of money back in the n64 days (laughs) but um (laughs) but um um I do wonder, like, like the, the sort of aggressive monetization methods that have been adapt, uh, adopted by certain games um, this generation that has resulted in, you know, legislation and governments getting involved. Um, I wondered if that may have may not have happened in quite such a quite such a level. If if you know we just raised the price at the beginning of the PS4 and the Xbox One era, because that's one that's the that's the generation that didn't see a price increase, right? Because that the 2005 2006 was the PS3 and 360 generation. And now we're into this PS5, and it was in the middle. We didn't raise prices, and I think the interesting thing is um, actually the bit that I liked was what IDG said about um, how certain games will um, justify this. And I think it's going to be games like NBA. Although I don't really, I don't follow NBA sales closely enough. It's because it's an American thing, I think. But um, <laughs> but but if I look at games like Call of Duty, for instance, um, that's a franchise that hasn't actually grown in user terms um at all this generation like it, it, it's peaked during the 360 era it hasn't faded away it's still very 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 big but what about um Warzone if you're a company like mobile? activision yeah well this is so so activision who's um you know call of duty is its brand um it's tried to is trying different ways to uh, monetize it, it through battle royale and microtransactions and things like that and um in order to grow that business they're trying to basically get take, generate more revenue from the same amount of users whereas um uh yeah so you, that's interesting and but now they've got to the point because that franchise because it's a big public company that franchise is supposed to grow right it's not supposed to make less money every year and cost more it's supposed to make more money every year as well as costing more and um uh that you know that's why you know i can see that game going up in price in fact i remember i don't know if it happened globally i do remember in the uk that that game added an extra five pounds onto its price at one point about probably about six seven years ago um but um uh, so i see those games actually those games that are probably peaking out in terms of uh, uh users and also probably at the peak of what it can really realistically get away with in terms of monetization those are the games that might want to in order to ensure that they continue to grow um increase their prices but then there's other games and we talked about i think you know there there are other games that just simply don't need to do that they might be on a good growth path they might monetize their users in a more effective way um they may not be annualized franchises they might just be big hit games that they can keep supporting in other ways um, and we're also seeing things go in another complete other direction where games are going completely free so like destiny for instance so um yeah i, I thought that was quite interesting that we, i think we are going to see more games at this price but i think we'll also see quite a few games at the other price it was it's it's an interesting development um and it, and it speaks to um it does contradict a little bit of what playstation was saying around um um 
uh, the value of games. It's not just the value of the console. You need to be thinking about, you know, how what game prices are going to be. And the first thing that happens is game prices seem to be going up. But um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was. I thought it was. Um, I think it is going to be a bit of an indicator, but uh, probably not. I don't. I don't expect every AAA game to suddenly be seventy dollars or or sixty five pounds. I, I don't um, know. I don't know because like the when this last happened, when everything became sixty dollars new. It was in 2005 with the launch of the Xbox 360. And at that time, everyone just kind of collectively decided we're charging more now. And uh, given the development costs of the HD generation, like, yeah, I understand why. Uh, Microsoft, though, they committed uh, when the 360 launched, their first party titles were still going to be $50. And that lasted, I think, until Gears of War came out about a year after launch. And then they're like, no, no, clearly everyone's on board with this. And I'm really, really shocked that take two of all companies would be the one to, uh, to go first with this, because I don't think that that NBA 2k is the sort of franchise. that's going to be, um, as, as readily able to, to do this partly because they've, been using these microtransactions uh, to very profitable effect for years and years. Like they can't really plead poor on this uh, on this case. And and there people have been playing the NBA 2K games, and they've been loving the game but hating the business model. There's been a lot of grumbling about the microtransactions and how it just feels like a grind and it slows down the game to where you're having to. to to just play too much stuff you don't care about in order to get like a new haircut or new sneakers for your, for your character. And last year they actually decided like, okay, we're going to back off of that a bit. And they released a, a version of the game, which still had a lot of that grind in there, but it wasn't quite as aggressive. And, uh, I think players liked it, but it did not perform as well as previous versions of the game and take two executives said, yeah, that's not happening again. Uh, you know, you can, you can expect a return to growth this year. And I don't think that was necessarily because 2k 21 was going to be $10 more on next gen. Um, it's, I, I think these microtransactions have kind of, they, they've companies have leaned so hard into them that I, I think it's, it's, uh, a weird, bizarre mistake to, to especially with take two to, to do this with NBA 2K leading the way. It, 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 there's already, you know, an angry user base out there. And now you're just asking them to pay more. And they know that the experience isn't going to suddenly become, you know, more pure or less driven by the microtransactions. You're just, you know, taking more because you can. And if, if take two is doing so that's, that. that- Sorry, Matt. Yeah. No, so that because that was the thing that I wondered because I'm not an NBA 2K player. Was is this? Does this extra ten bucks mean a different kind of approach to sort of post sale monetization for the series? I mean, you you obviously play it, and you don't think that's going to be the case. It'll be just an extra ten bucks in take take two's pocket, but you'll still have all of the same monetization, which realistically should be the reason why the price doesn't go up anyway. Yeah, I I mean the the extra revenue you get from that extra $10 at launch because the price of everything, you know, comes down drastically. Uh, I think I bought, 
what was at the time the newest NBA game on the Switch for like five dollars. Um, in you know after the season was over one year, so like yeah, I, I, it's this on is, some Game Pass at the moment actually. The NBA Two K is on Game Pass, so you can that's another thing. If we if we increase the price of everything, uh, then then it makes something like Game Pass that much more attractive for for consumers. And I don't I don't know if third party publishers want to be going down that that route. You know, Take Two has already said that they don't see subscription services as a good place to put frontline AAA new releases. They just don't see a business model there. And the more the more those sub- subscription services become like a default way for players to engage with games, the less control and the less leverage third party publishers will have, uh, just because they would need to be participating in those in order to to access that that chunk of the market. Yeah, before getting into the subscription thing, though, I, I do wonder because, you know, the sports franchise I play the most is FIFA. And if FIFA went up by 10 bucks a copy, that would be uh, very much taking the piss on EA's part because the, you know, a, a huge chunk of the money they make from FIFA does not even come from the upfront cost of buying the game it comes from ultimate team it comes from these new kind of monetization mechanics so if they added 10 bucks on to the cost of fifa we know that my ultimate team's not going away so it really would be just gouging the player for a little bit more money and i, and I am intrigued to see whether ea sees this or, or already has this plan this kind of cost type plan because what you were saying earlier chris about how you expect to see some games do this but not all actually instinctively it seems to me that the games that are most likely to do this are also the ones that actually least need to make the extra money to balance the books so a fifa strikes me it's quite likely if nba 2k is going down this road the fifa at least will be there might be some thinking behind the scenes that this is a thing that, that could happen and it would just be about we can we can do it we can get away we can we can add another 10 bucks onto the price and people are still going to buy this game in you know 20 million copies or whatever in fifa's case obviously it's, it's a little bit lower in nba's case I, I, I do agree with the you know, Call of Duty and FIFA and NBA don't need to do this. Like they're going to make lots and lots of money regardless. You know, even if they don't put any microtransactions in the game and go purely based on box sales, they're going to do really, really well. Um, but these are big public companies and these games aren't like one game in a portfolio. These games are, I don't know what percentage of EA's revenue comes from FIFA but I expect it's not it's, it's not inconsiderable. It, it, uh, it is, I expect it's considerable. And um, when I look at um, uh, and it's the same with M- NBA is 2K's biggest game. You know, if NBA has a bad year, 2K have a bad year. It's that important. And if those games are costing, if the cost of those games are rising to the point where they start becoming a little bit too aggressive in microtransactions and start upsetting their player base, obviously, um, you know that there's a problem here, that those are the games which, you know, when Sean Layden's talking about, you know, there's going to be a problem. Um, these are the games that you'll see those problems in because those games are, you know, 2K, EA, Activision, those those companies depend on these games for their bottom line. And if, um, you know, over this generation, 2K, uh, Activision, sorry, went from making, a, a, went from its, to have to have another developer making a Call of Duty game in order to have a title every three years, every year. So, and it, and that just speaks to that, that problem. Um, and that's why I feel that these are the games that end up doing it, not because they need the money, but because, you know, their shareholders need to see growth from these games in order to in order for their share price to say what it is. Um, but 
yeah, there, there are some other games. But I think you're right. You know, if these games didn't have microtransactions in, in them, if we didn't feel that they were a little bit, I don't know if exploitive is the word, maybe it is um, in, in the way they behave, we would be like, yeah, yeah, sure, of course. You know, a $10 increase makes sense. Games are going to cost a lot more. They'll look a lot better. We'll happily pay that. But when we're already, I mean, I'll be interested to know what the average user is spending on NBA. You know, they've. So I think that this is actually also a really um, risk free way for the publishers to do this. And I expect uh, basically all of them to, to jump on board here because we've got a generational transition. So you're going to have your PS4, Xbox One version of your game and your next gen version of the game. So charge $10 more for the next gen one. If people are really that upset about it, they'll buy the past gen one anyways. The people that have the next gen hardware, they're early adopters. They're not as price sensitive. They're already spending five or $600 on the system, uh, unless the all access program we talked about last week picks up. And when you're already in that far, like an extra $10 for your fancy bells and whistles game is probably not going to dissuade you. So they can take a look at this, this, this first year, you know, the, this first wave of releases and see how receptive people are. And, and if, if it burns them, then what did they lose? They, they lost, you know, a handful of sales on a minuscule installed base system that they weren't really banking on to drive everything this year anyways. Yeah, I suspect though that it will it will become like uh, you know I I am sort of naturally quite cynical, so I, I guess I just don't see this as like an experiment. I, I figure it's kind of like you said, Brendan, with the 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 sort of the start of the Xbox 360 PS3 era. It all people will raise their eyebrows at it for a little while, and then anyone who was holding out would just stick the price up to seventy bucks, and that would just become the new price for a video game. And there may be something to said for that actually being the right thing to do because whatever else can be said about microtransactions and how they're implemented uh, microtransactions don't help every game but the rising cost of development and the fixed price that you can maximum price you can sell a game at has made life difficult for for certain kinds of games and and, and when you look at something like a t- take two or an ea I mean, yes, maybe it is, as Chris said, where some games get priced at $70, some games don't. But by but the games being priced at 70 that can be, Call of Duty's, FIFA's, yes, they don't really need to in the same way because they make plenty of money. But those are the games you can get away with it on. And by getting away with it on those games, maybe you don't have to do it on others. I mean, that's a... That's about as charitable as I ever am towards major publishers, I would say. We'll see when the uh, HD re-releases and stuff show up and they're also (laughs) charging $70 at the gate. To kind of echo the point you guys have been making, like this is the only time you could get away with a a price jump like this, because as we say, it is a generational transition. Like if if it was two, three years into the generation, it's like, right, suddenly games are all now 70, 70 quid rather than... 60 quid or you know $70 rather than $60 like yeah it would it, there would be more as Matt says like people would just rise their eyebrows and, and accept it after a while now at the launch of a new console but elsewhere there'd be more of a fuss I mean I have a vague memory of when uh, like Chris was saying like a vague memory of the year that um, Call of Duty was £5 more and that felt more of a there felt like more of a fuss there than there was at the start of a generation my con- I have a couple of concerns around this in the as Brendan says, like, yeah, okay, so if someone can't afford the, the $10 more next-gen version, they'll just get the past-gen version, or the current-gen version. Um, 
And that, in theory, you know, then TK confirmed this, gets you access to the next-gen version, providing you buy like, the next console in the family. Obviously, you can't just upgrade from PS4 to Xbox Series X. Um, so th- there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about free next-gen upgrades, and I wonder if this is going to confuse the message of, right, next-gen prices are more expensive. Uh, you know, next-gen games are more expensive, but they're also, like, you get free upgrades. I wonder if it's going to dissuade more people from well, buying the next-gen version. With 2K, you don't. Is- is that yeah exactly so there there are there's talk of next gen free and next gen upgrades for certain games so microsoft's smart yeah. delivery thing which i think is like the the leading light here is only about 12 games confirmed for that it's not like every game is going to get a free upgrade in fact very very few publishers have signed up as of yet i think that there's a hope that they will but actually i think what what we've seen from take 2 is is maybe an indication that well, a very clear indication that publishers, like, we're not, that you know, this isn't bashing take two. I, I just think that we can look at this as maybe indicative of general publisher thinking. And, and this is, again, you can spin it as greed, but as you, as you quoted Sean Layden at the start, there are actually, like, real economics at play behind decisions like this. There are real economics at play behind decisions to add microtransactions and stuff. And if Take-Two has decided, okay, we need to add $10 on, on the, the top of that, you, we can definitely debate, you know, very reasonably debate whether that absolutely needs to happen. But it's not pure greed. Like, it, there may be other ways of doing it. I don't quite know the maths behind it. But at the very least, there's there, it's an acknowledgement of the fact that these things cost more to make and they cost the same as they ever have. And just to, to note with NBA 2K, uh, you only get the next-gen version if you buy the $100 limited edition current generation <laughs> version for the, the Mamba. For oh, so, it's so generous, so generous. Yeah. So, wow. so I'm, I'm going to talk about that Mamba edition thing because I was given a, was, a document came across my desk um, earlier this week and in it, it indicates something interesting, which suggests it doesn't, I don't know, I haven't researched it, but it does suggest that um, the platform holders are preventing publishers from doing upgrades. So paying as in charging for upgrades, uh, certainly Xbox, so that you can't, you know, FIFA can't say, hey, you want to get FIFA 20 on the current gen, you can then get it 21 on the current gen, you can get it on the next gen if you pay us an extra $5. Apparently, they're very, they're very much against that. Um, and, what to, if this, and what 2K has done, if this, that's true, if what 2K has done is actually quite a clever way, or a slightly, I say clever, <laughs> in, a, in a slightly evil way, um, of getting around that by saying, oh, it's a special edition and it costs this much, and that's how you can, and that's how they can charge more for you getting a version that works across generations. Um, and I mean, there are some co- big companies have signed up to that small. No, they have. They Assassin's have. Creed there there's definitely is. And, um, and it's interesting because Ubisoft is one. And actually, the first company that really engaged, actually, Ubisoft was one of the first companies that really engaged with this idea of what happens with the new consoles in a world of like live service games where communities last beyond the limits of a generation. Do you want to? Do you want to charge people again? For, you know, the, the, the thing that happened with PS4 a lot and then uh, Xbox One a lot was you got the same game being released on two different, on two platform, two consoles in the same family and you, you had to buy it twice. It happened, you know, GTA 4 being the, GTA 5, sorry, being the, the prime example. Ubisoft said it a long time ago, they don't want to do that. But I think that it's just a case of, for some publishers, that means you can have it for free. For some publishers, you can have it for the bargain price of 10 or 15 extra bucks. And for them, that's still doing the consumer a favour, right? Because they're not charging you another 60. You can have it 15. 
Yeah, I'm. Yeah. <laughs> that feels quite an old world thing. It does. It, it does. I mean, Actually, one uh, thing. If you so, if, one thing I, I was interested in, and maybe Chris, because you were the one who uh, who picked up this story anyway. I found it interesting that Take Two, when they were announcing this, actually provided an analyst to kind of talk to you about the reasoning behind it. I found that really... Because this seems like the sort of thing that a publisher would just kind of like slip out at the bottom of a press release. But Take Two not only were like actually signaled to us, you know, this is quite... A, there's quite an important difference here. But actually gave you what, you know, what an, an, an analyst that whose reading of the situation wasn't exactly flattering to take to, I think it's fair to say. Like, I mean, it, it provided good context, but I don't think it necessarily, uh, I don't think it necessarily glossed over some of the ambiguities in, in what, what this change means. I just found that really interesting that they'd be so bold as to kind of deliver somebody who would give a fairly impartial assessment of what their decision was all about. Um, I think because... Let's be honest. I mean, we're picking on NBA and we're, we're criticising it because of its monetization methods. But overall, I think we're all, we all understand that games are costing more to make. We're talking about it last week. Last week, the conversation was maybe games should cut their budgets by becoming smaller. And this week, we're saying, oh, or maybe they could charge more. It's a problem. We know it's an issue. We, 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 and we are, as industry journalists go, we can see that being an issue for certain games. You know, it's other games... NBA, you're like, well, they'll live. But certain games, you can sit there and think, well, they're selling less, they're costing more. These are games that we love. They might not be made anymore if this keeps going on. We might see fewer adventure... In, well, we already are seeing fewer innovative AAA games as a result of this... Of the, of the, the business model doesn't work quite so well. So we are on board with it. And I think 2K, or Take-Two, you know, providing is like... People are going to slag us off for the fact that we're charging $10 more. Nobody gets praised for charging customers more. But um, providing an analyst that can give us a bit of an industry overview and explain why this has to happen, I guess is that I can I can see why they would do yeah, that, yeah. actually. Um, but but, it, just, it just but, seemed like sort of, ad, uh, oh, you know, the word admirable is a difficult one to insert in a situation where that would probably like make a lot of gamers very angry. But, you know, we are in a position where we do have to at least try and understand the reasons. But it seemed like somewhat admirable to actually go, you know, we, we need to explain this to people and to say exactly why this is going on. And I'm being very open about that. You know, games need to be more expensive to some degree to, to justify themselves. And you know what? They were very proactive with us on this story because the original prep, the, you know, they said, hey, we're going to announce our next cover star for NBA. <laughs> do, you, do you want to sign an NDA to get that news in advance? And my response was no. <laughs> like, no, no offense, but I, I don't I don't write those stories. I'm not that interested in who the cover star is for considering we already know who two of the cover stars are. I'm not really interested in who the next cover star is. And then they called me up and said, you might want to see this press release. So it was I thought that was um, I thought that was uh um, again, they were they were very act proactive, and in, in, it's interesting they're the one that's come forward with the with the price. Um, I bet there's a load of other AAA publishers that are thanking well, you know, <laughs> 2K behind the scenes for taking the for being the first out of the gates with it. So I, w- I wonder um, if there's like a possible, and this is sort of galaxy brain a little bit, but the last week's conversation, I think Brendan, you made the point that it's it's hard for like a game that's only sort of 12 to 15 hours long to compete alongside like the, the, the new AAA hotness that's like 200 hours long. And that's absolutely fair enough. But I do wonder, like, cause, but it strikes me that like if FIFA could cost 70 bucks and Call of Duty could cost 70 bucks, a game like Control, Remedies Control, 
can't really cost 70 bucks though it did cost 60 bucks when it came out and i wonder if now this if if this is where the AAA releases are going towards they're going to 70 bucks and microtransactions and again these are games that deliver hundreds and hundreds of hours of value does it create an opportunity for a game like I use control all the time just because I really like it. It does seem to symbolise a certain kind of what would have once been thought of as a AAA game um, that, that, that sort of died out a little bit and seems to be making a resurgence. But, like, is there an opportunity for that game to cost 50 bucks? And is that how you compete? Yeah, uh, is that, does, that give it, does that give it a little bit more leverage no, no, than costing no, exactly no. the same amount? Now, now, wait, but I will caveat that and say... For control, control competing against Call of Duty is not selling 20 million copies. That's not what anyone's saying. What, 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 what it's saying is control just legitimizes its place in the market a little bit more than it no. has been able to do over the last... Well, explain your, uh, explain your complete dismissal for that. Okay, that so I think it is an excuse for control to sell for $70. I, I think going the other way um, kind of sends the wrong marketing message for control. Because they wanted that to be seen as like a big deal frontline release. It it looked gorgeous. It was a single player adventure, but like just from someone that hasn't played the game but only saw, you know, the marketing, like I don't I don't see why that can't be just a, a frontline full release. Uh, a lot of a lot of these games are sort of like um you hit a certain level of production values and and that's kind of all it really takes to to justify, you know, like, yes, we are we're one of the big boys. We are a game that you should care about. If you start selling it for fifty dollars or forty dollars when everyone knows that the standard is seventy, they're gonna start looking at it and say, Well, okay, why why isn't it as good? Why isn't it worth as much? It's is this like Hellblade where it's just kind of like a it looks great, but it's just a series of, you know, one-on-one monster battles or something is it like that small in scale i I worry then i worry then that with that attitude of right yeah so games like control should be 70 in order to stand next to call of duty and appear as valuable as as worthy of the 70 dollar price tag i worry that gamers are going to take fewer risks and therefore publishers are going to take fewer risks in terms of what they buy if you're if you've got i know it's only like an extra ten dollars but if you've got seventy dollars and it's like right i can spend it on this brand new ip which looks really pretty and i've heard really good things about or this established long-going series that i know i will like and i know that's that's a that's a debate that's been going on in the gamers heads at the point of purchase for for decades but with the price increase that becomes more dangerous and i say that as well in terms of the global economic context we're obviously not in a great place economically as a world right now there's been a few things happening this year which have impacted things already the prospect of a 600 hundred dollar console coming out this christmas when we're on the verge of an imminent recession possibly global depression the idea of then combining that with $70 games rather than $60 games, like, again, it's only that, that $10 increase, but in the mind of the consumer, that is a significant increase. It makes you more conscious of what you are spending and what, what you're choosing to spend on. Yeah, I, so I, get, one, yeah. I, I, I do think there's I more. Worry. Yeah, but, and there's, I, I do also think there's more of a difference between Control and Call of Duty. I, don't, I actually just don't think that Remedy sees it as that sort of game. I don't think 505 Games, which published it, sees it as the same kind of game. I actually think they do see it differently. And I also think that 
pretty much all of the space for new kinds of products to exist in the games industry over the last 15 years has come through price elasticity, through new price points being forged, mm. new levels of pricing being normalized. This idea that if you, if you spend more than 20 million on a game, it has to cost 70 bucks, even when you're going up against a game that costs quarter of a billion to make. I just don't know. I follow the logic there. Like I, I feel that, I feel that I, I get why, well, okay. I would get why that didn't happen. I think it would be dumb if it didn't happen. I, 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 I actually think, Matt, I think you're right. I think we are going to see... I think this gives a bit more flexibility for people on price. And I think, um, I think yeah, those big games do need to charge... Well, they probably feel they need to charge more. And actually, you're right, they probably don't feel they need to charge more for their game. And the result will be their game looks like it's better value for money, even if the reality is it just hasn't moved. And um, you actually think of the you think of the thing that's changed this time, Ted. The last time the price rising is the number of AAA games that are out there that don't cost anybody anything, right? It's Fortnite's free. It's one of the biggest games in there, and it, it's 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 AAA, um, you know. And there are there are so much stuff that's free and really high quality, and and I think as a result of that, I don't think consumers are you know. I remember when. Um, and it was a few years ago now that new Ratchet and Clank game came out and I think it was 30 quid right? and that was actually one of the reasons why it did so well but it was also excellent and high quality and I don't think and I think that's, just, that's actually an example of how you, what you can do you can put a game out that's high quality that looks great probably didn't cost as much as a Call of Duty doesn't need to do as well as that kind of thing but um and I, and, I, and I think this gives people the ability to, to be a little bit more to put a little and it gives margin for retailers as well to play with which is another crucial part of it um but, these are yeah. outliers though like we've just spent a decade with like people have not been using the 50 dollar and 40 dollar price points really like you know with with any kind of regularity that i've seen you know and if namco bandai comes out with a new naruto game or whatever they're doing these days it's going to be 60 dollars to start uh, it's i just like we've had this price point flexibility ever since kind of the floodgates opened on on xbox live and you could just sort of like sell your game for whatever you wanted to and you know indies there's there's like a group of of people and publishers that will use those those all those varied price points and then there's another group of publishers that that are trying to appeal to that mainstream game consumer or would conceivably make triple a products and they they aren't using it they're using it with their catalog titles yeah but i don't think those people are remedy um or um or and those companies remedy probably did need to charge 50 quid or 60 dollars for their game um and now the fact that everything's gone up a level it might allow those mid-tier games that were struggling to compete with call of duty to have a bit of a, a be that next level down roll. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I put forward that idea. And, and to be fair, like I do kind of, I definitely see Brendan's point, which is to say that I, I think it makes sense for that to happen. But I also do doubt whether companies would follow through and even try it. I mean, for, for me, it just feels like, again, we're using Remedy, but like you can insert a, that various other studios that operate at that, what, what I guess you call sort of double A level, um, whether they would see, they, they try to sell at 60 bucks, but they would look at 70 and go, actually, that that's one step beyond 
where we feel comfortable and contemplate maybe putting distance putting distance between themselves and the AAA games, which, as we acknowledged last last week, they can't compete with at the same price. So like we're, we're kind of like putting two competing ideas out there. They can't compete at the same price, but they will also refuse to compete at any other price. But I don't know. But I just, I just, I do doubt whether publishers will take that risk. Will will kind of will go the opposite way and, and think we'll sell more units at a lower price than try and sell whatever units we can at the same price and risk being seen as less valuable than these other ones. I just, it just makes so much sense to me that you would use it as an opportunity to not be on the same kind of tier as games you can't hope to compete with in terms of resources and marketing and all these other factors. I do think it's, I do, somebody mentioned earlier about the fact that, you know, um, this is the only time the games industry can really do this sort of thing. And I do wonder if there would be so much of an issue if it was like the cinema where, you know, let's be honest, the cinema didn't increase in price 37% uh, uh, over one week, right? You know, my, my, I get an unlimited pass to my local cinema and it's, and it's increased by about five pounds in the, in the last three years. But it's been like, it was one pound here. It was 80p there. And it was like, I didn't, I didn't notice it really go higher and higher and higher. Whereas of course in games, you can immediately notice it when it goes up by um, um, uh, uh, a $10 thing. Um, but, um, I, what, what, but I do think like, you know, James was talking about something I thought was interesting was the, um, the economic situation. Like games, like nobody's saying, no, no game CEO is publicly saying that they think that the games industry is recession proof. And I think the fact that there are new consoles coming out and the cost of those consoles actually does create a challenge. But there is an element of us being um, uh, recession resistant in that, um, you know, it's still $70 for a game is still cheaper than a night out or, or a meal out with you and a partner, right? So it is, it is a, it is a, it is a, it's an interesting um, thing where that's the reason why games tend to do quite well during these sort of periods, or at least that's the, that's the belief. And, um, and, but what, you know, but will it push people towards subscriptions? I think that's, that's the thing. So I've got a very loud baby. Um, <laughs> no, I was sorry. I was just, yeah, it seems to have stopped. Um, no, I was just saying that um, I wonder with the economic situation um, with, uh, and the fact that people are looking for better value for money, if this might end up accelerating the subscription model um and i don't mm. think for the record that you know nba is not going to go on the subscription service at, well at least not the latest one and and if you want if you're into that game you're going to buy it right but i i do wonder if if people are looking at the cost of games and the game and the cost of buying big box games if now becoming a subscriber to game pass means is the equivalent of buying two games a year then game pass only looks like a real good mm. value for money proposition what, um whereas but what is interesting about that though is that I talked with Ubisoft about their own subscription service because we sort of forget the fact that like Square Enix said it wanted a subscription service and Ubisoft wants a subscription service. When they talked about that, they actually talked like a subscription service, you know, when, when everything's working properly, when all of these services are out there, it's not like you just pay 10 quid and you get all of the games. That One of the models that Ubisoft is really interested in looking into is that a game would the base game would be on the subscription service and they would like monetize it more like like a pc strategy game like if you've ever played paradox's video games the expansion packs cost the same amount as the base game the base game will cost 30 bucks every expansion pack costs 30 bucks and they sell expansion packs 
often at, at higher levels in, in one year than the original game sold in one year. And it, so they almost sell it like you would buy seasons of a TV show or whatever. And that, that is actually a model that, that might become quite popular on on subscription services. So even there, I think, yeah, you're, you've, you're, you've got a lot of elasticity possible, possible in the price there, you know. That's all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next Monday with your usual news show. In the meantime, you can get all previous episodes of the podcast on your podcasting platform of choice, and you can get your daily dose of news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Music